Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this episode, Peter Keller breaks down the Exodus story through the chapters Exodus 4 and 5. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. Exodus 4.18, we see Moses, and it says, Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. Hopefully they're still alive because God told him to go back. That'd be awkward if they weren't. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. You got my permission. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go return to Egypt for all the men who sought your life are dead. All the guys that you thought were trying to kill you because you killed someone, they're not around anymore, Moses. So Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey. And he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. The Lord then said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn son. So we see Moses, he is getting sent back to Egypt by God. And God tells him two th- uh, three things. He says, the people that were trying to kill you, they're dead. So, yay, you don't have to worry too much about that anymore, Moses. This is going to be not all you running for your life. But then he says, additionally, that, hey, I'm going to send you back and you're going to do wonders before the king of Egypt, but I'm actually going to harden his heart. Not so good. That, that's not fun. Because normally when you're approaching a king, you actually want the king to be on your side. You want him to agree with your perspective. Pharaoh had been over the people of Israel for 430 years at the time. And he did not want to lose his servants, his slaves. Because they, they got a lot of work done. They were building bricks. Talks about that in Exodus 1. And the Lord says, by the way... As, I, as you go and you approach Pharaoh, he's actually not going to let your people go. But still go do it. Still go because I'm going to provide a way for your people to be delivered. But just know, going into it, his heart's hardened, so there's no way he's going to let you go. And the last part he says is, also say to Pharaoh, hey, uh, Israel is God's firstborn son. So if you don't let the people go, God is going to kill your own son. So we have three different things. We have one that's like, okay, Moses, you can be reassured. You're not going to die. But do know he's not going to listen to your request. And I want you to tell the king of the land that I'm going to kill his son. Because we know that he's not going to listen. Because the Lord told Moses that he wasn't going to listen. So Moses is sort of stuck in a rough place, right? He's like, okay, I already signed up and I told the Lord I'm going to do this thing. But now God is telling me, hey, I'm going to send you with signs and wonders, but it's not going to be easy 
but still obey me. So Moses does the thing. He says, okay, God, I'm going to obey you. And he ends up meeting up with Aaron back in Israel. That's going to be verse 28. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. So Moses gets another good response. Like, hey, Awesome, our deliverer has finally come. The vessel that the Lord is going to use for our deliverance is here. This is actually happening because guess what? He's doing signs. He's doing wonders, blowing our mind. And it's been 430 years. It's about time for us to get out of this land. Really good news. However, we then see Moses talk to Pharaoh. So real quick, before we move into the the big encounter with Pharaoh, Let's just take a moment to sort of try to put ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites, in the shoes of Moses. When I'm reading scripture, it's so easy for me to just read and to have that like rote memorization, just the rote understanding of, okay, this is what it's saying right now. But my goal whenever I'm reading the Bible is to try to apply it and to try to sort of put myself in the shoes of the people, especially in the Old Testament. It's really easy to get bogged down with information. But Old Testament Genesis, it's like, hey, this guy really messed up. I'm like, okay, he messed up. It probably means that I'm going to mess up a couple times. And so in this story, we see uh, Pharaoh basically refusing to let them go. And he actually ends up making things really difficult on the Israelites. And so if you would, just as we're reading this, put yourself in Moses' shoes and try to feel what Moses might have felt in the moment when he was confronting uh, Pharaoh. This is entitled, Creating Brick Without Straw. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? to let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So Moses obviously was expecting that response because that's what God told him. But still, it probably doesn't feel good to be rejected by a king, even when you're obeying the voice of God. So they said, the king of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, or sorry, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days. Uh, journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you go to take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. So he says, after Moses gets denied once, he's like, please just let us go for just three days, because God told us that we're supposed to go and worship him. Moses is trying his best to just make stuff happen. He's like, if, if we can just go for three days, maybe the Lord will be pleased, and then God won't kill all of us, because 
the fear of the Lord was real. Um, and when in, in the past, when the children of Israel or the people of Israel disobeyed the Lord, there were dire consequences. And so he's just trying to be like, hey, don't, we don't want to die. And then Pharaoh, in response, says, Moses, what are you doing? Get back to your work. You're being lazy. Which I'm sure for Moses probably was not the best feeling in the world. It was like, wait, you're telling me I'm doing the will of God. And this leader saying, hey, get back to work, even though you haven't been a slave in 40 years. Now that you're back here, go back, start building brick. And Pharaoh, furthermore, says, look at the people of this land. They are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So guess what? On the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, you shall no longer give people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. So, the people of Israel, they had been making bricks for hundreds of years. And suddenly, when Moses arrives on the scene, Pharaoh says, well, I don't think these people are working hard enough because they have time to think about going off and worshiping their God. They have time to think about leaving the land. So therefore, I'm going to take liberty and put extra work on them because if they work harder, maybe they won't think about leaving me ever again. And so he puts these very difficult work uh, demands on them. Basically, he said, so, so let's imagine you are working at a restaurant, you're making some cheese sticks, and suddenly the management comes up to you because of another leader in your life, and he says, hey, by the way, uh, you, you're still supposed to make a bunch of cheese sticks every day, but I'm going to make it so that instead of uh, supplying you with the cheese, you have to make the cheese for yourself every day, which would be very difficult. Oh, and at the same time, make the same amount. So doubled, tripled their workforce and didn't really give them any option uh, but that. So he says uh, in verse 11, go get yourself straw where you can find it, yet none of your work will be reduced. The people were scattered abroad throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. So normally they had been supplied straw. Now what they were working with in order to to complete their work was the leftovers of the straw. It was the stubble on the ground, so they would have to get you know really far down, and they would have have to cut so much more of it just to maintain the same amount of product. Really difficult work. Verse thirteen. Taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, "Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw." And we'll skip down a little bit because it just keeps talking about straw and stuff. Um, I know, I love this. I was like, man, I think I'm going to be the first person to ever preach on bricks without straw that I've ever heard. Uh, but I love it. So at, at a certain point in, in verse 15, they say, uh, the children of Israel say to Pharaoh, 
Why are you doing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, and yet they still say to us, make brick. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. So the Israelites are saying, hey, this is impossible. You're asking us to do an impossible task, Pharaoh, and there's no way for us to complete it, but you're coming to us and you're beating us and you're afflicting us because we can't do the thing that you said is impossible. We can't make those cheese sticks because we don't even know how to make cheese. It's impossible. And then they say to Pharaoh, which probably really got Pharaoh riled up, the fault is your own people. It's your fault that we can't do what you're asking us to do. Ouch. Pharaoh's response in verse 17 is, you are idle and lazy. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore go now and work, for no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. That's a really bad situation, huh? And the crazy thing is, is for 430 years, they had never been put into a situation like that. It wasn't until the Lord's vessel, Moses, came along that suddenly they got hit with a bunch of persecution and a bunch of unreasonable demands from their captor. So what we see is suddenly, remember in verse 31 of uh, chapter 4, when the people were worshiping and marveling at the words of Moses, and it said that they believed Moses and that they bowed down and worshiped God. That's uh, chapter 4, verse 31. At the end of chapter 5, in verse 20, it says, The children of Israel, as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge you because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. So suddenly Moses goes from being the hero to being someone that is being cursed at. And they're saying, Moses, this is your fault. If you would just not come around, we would have been content with our work, we would have been content in continuing the way that we have lived for hundreds of years. Because right now, your brethren are being killed. They're being beaten for no reason. Because you had this dream, Moses. And because you said that you were following God. And Pharaoh was over there spreading a rumor that Moses was a false messenger. He was a false prophet. It says that somewhere in the middle, I think like verse 10 or something. And so Moses is just really starting to look, get looked down upon. And what we'll find as we continue through, if we were to continue through, is that it takes a bit for Moses to get recognized again by the people because people, when they have vision, but they are not, uh, but they don't, it's, it's a secondary vision if they're just getting it not from the source, but from a secondary source. People tend to lose sight of the vision when trouble and when persecution comes. So probably, uh, or let's look at what it cost Moses to be obedient to the Lord. Because 
we can see so clearly in this story, it wasn't easy for him. A lot of times we think of being obedient to the Lord as just being this fun thing and, and it's most mostly good. But in this instance, it's so clear that Moses really just suffered in for, suffered for the sake of righteousness. The first thing that it cost him was his comfort. He had been in Midian for 40 years. He had a, a family established. It was nice. It was simple. And uh, he didn't have to go talk to kings. He didn't have to go get confronted by uh, the Israelites. He just had it made. And yet, when the, when the voice of the Lord and the promise of God came along and he said yes to the Lord, he ended up having to throw all of that away. The second thing that he had to throw away was stability. Um, early on in his life, as an Egyptian prince, he had already said, I don't really care about this, you know, all the luxury of being a prince. I'm going to put my eggs into the basket of the Israelites. That's why he ends up murdering uh, the Egyptian. And once again, later on in his life, he was like 80 at this time. He has to give up the stability of his future because who knows? Like the Lord's saying that I'm going to make it out of this thing alive. But I mean, hey, like... (laughs) He's also saying Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened against me. So who who really knows? So he had to throw away his stability. And the last thing that he had to throw away was his reputation. Because Moses in Midian was respected. He was known. And he was simple. But he comes back to Pharaoh. And the people immediately recognize him as a leader. But then they say, hey, you just t- completely like destroyed our lives, destroyed our livelihoods. And also Pharaoh was railing against him that he was just a liar, that there was nothing true coming out of his mouth. And so all three of those things were things that it cost Moses in order to be obedient to the Lord. Now, it wasn't just Moses that was affected by Moses's obedience to God. The people and the, or the children of Israel were also deeply affected, as we just saw. It said, uh, it said that the children of Israel were not able to heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage, because they were being treated so poorly. Additionally, because they, they, they were on the same side as Moses, Pharaoh suddenly starts telling all of the Egyptians, the Israelites are lazy. They're they're just idle. They they don't have anything going for them. So the Israelites, if we can put our shoes or ourselves in their shoes for a moment, we can see, wow, so the Israelites were beginning to suffer because of a leader that was following God. And the last people that... um, (laughs) that sort of had to pay a cost were the Egyptians because they were under a bad leader, Pharaoh. And if we were to continue reading into chapter six, seven, eight, we would see that many Egyptians perished and lost uh, their, their homes. They lost their livelihood because of Moses obeying the Lord. So you have three different parties that were all being affected by one man's obedience. You're probably asking me, or you're probably wondering, why 
does any of this apply to me? Why, you know, how, how does this, um, how does this compare to modern day life? Because this happened 1500 years ago. And here's, here's the takeaway that I want us to, to, to just observe is as believers, we all have an ability to lead either ourselves or others. And oftentimes when the voice of the Lord calls to us and gives us vision of promise, it does have consequences just like Moses's decisions had consequences. Now, is it always going to look like you make a, a God decision, you say yes to the Lord, and then all of your friends and family perish? Hopefully not. Like, I really, really hope that that is not the majority of the situations. But there will be times in our lives where we answer the call of God and there is a deep effect that affects maybe our parents, affects our friends, and affects those in our general vicinity. And maybe even costs us things like our reputation, our comfort, and our stability. Um, Oftentimes, the world and our own intuition tells us to take one path, but the Lord has different plans for us. We get to try to make plans, but when God's voice comes, Moses had no idea of the calling that the Lord had for him until all of a sudden God showed up in a bush and began to make demands of Moses. Or began, I guess it wasn't really demands, but it was sort of demands. It was like, Moses, this is who you are. You don't have a choice in the matter. Moses had no idea. And so sometimes we might be going one way and then the Lord says, no, hey, you're actually supposed to go this way. And David, the psalmist says, the Lord or a man made uh, plan his path, but the Lord directs his steps. He also, this is one of my fun, my, one of my favorite parts. Moses, uh, David also in Psalm 23 says that the Lord is the good shepherd. And so sometimes when we are being led by the Lord and there is a, a discrepancy between what we feel is right and what the Lord is saying is right, because maybe we can't see the future far enough to, to have a good perspective of where the Lord wants us to be. He says that the Lord is the good shepherd and he is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. And sometimes he will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. And he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. So David had a revelation that sometimes my obedience comes at a cost. Sometimes God is going to lead me through a valley. Sometimes he's going to lead me into places that just don't make sense. But David also had a vision of what it was going to be like in the future. He was anointed king early on. Moses had that same vision of, God, you are going to lead the people of Israel out of captivity, out of bondage. So that's how it can apply to us. When Israel was being persecuted, I'm sure it felt like Moses' confrontation with Pharaoh was only negative. However, it took Moses' obedience to see people delivered. So sometimes in our lives, and I can't speak into y'all's lives, but I know in my life, sometimes there are big decisions that I've had to make when the Lord speaks to me that have had, that have had life-altering consequences and have affected people in my community. And sometimes it does affect people negatively. 
But the end goal is to see the Lord glorified. It's to see God magnified to a place where he is the only one that's exalted, not me, not any man. And clearly, the goal is not to just say, hey, I'm making this decision and all of you people around me can suffer. That's not at all uh, the Lord's heart. But the Lord's heart is, I want you to obey me and I will get you through and I will see you through to this promise. We also get to see two different types of leaders in this story. Um, we see Moses and Pharaoh. And I think it's pre- the, the two characters have very stark contrasts. You see Moses who's obeying the Lord and it's costing him and his people much. When Pharaoh disobeys the Lord, it has very, very negative consequences. And so as a weak person, I want to be like Moses, who says yes to God, even though it might hurt me, it might hurt my people temporarily, but it's so that I can see my people delivered versus Pharaoh, whose heart was just so hard that he had no ability to see past his hatred for the Israelites, to see past um, his disdain, if you will. I love that rain. That's nice. So my friends, here are three things um, that I want to sort of leave us with. I I, I prepared a shorter message tonight. Um, But the things that it takes to persist in obedience, three different elements that as believers we have to have in order to continually suffer for the sake of righteousness. The first is a vision of the promise of God. God made a promise to Moses. He said, I will deliver my people. That was his vision. And that was the starting point from which he returned to Israel and began preaching, hey, the Lord is on your side. He has seen your suffering and he's not okay with it. He's going to deliver you. The people of Israel, they, they hear that vision and they, they hold on to it and they start worshiping. But the, as soon as things get tough, they abandon it and they start cursing Moses. And so vision in and of itself and having a promise in and of itself is not enough. Now, when we're talking about promises, I feel like we throw away or throw around that term promise a good bit in charismatic circles. You're probably like, well, God's never shown up to me in a burning bush. He's never, you know, audibly shown up in my room with three angels and, you know, presence swirly stuff happening. But that's never happened to me. I mean, that's like a Jamie story, I think. But, uh, but what he does or where he does promise us is in Scripture. And so we see throughout the Bible a good many promises that believers can latch on to. Jesus says, I am with you always, and I am coming back soon. Says, in my presence there is fullness of joy, and there is pleasure forevermore. The word says there is going to be a time where there is no suffering, there's no pain, and uh, I am preparing a place for you. There's so many different promises that we have in scripture. And if the only promises you hear in scripture are from the pulpit, you're never going to have a foundation 
upon which to actually believe those promises unless you read it for yourself. So get in that Bible and actually search out the promises of God because you don't want to be like the Israelites who as soon as it gets tough, they just abandon it and then they start blaming their obedient leader for the consequences. If we're going to suffer, I want to suffer in obedience. Uh, Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, a people that lack vision perish. So if we have no vision at all, and no, no idea of what the promises are, how are we going to get through anyways? The second tenet that we have to have, or the second element that we have to have is faith. The people believed Moses, and shortly after, when things got tough, they fell away. But they did have an element of belief, and it says uh, later on that they were suffering from unbelief because of their anguish and their suffering. So faith is a necessity, but it also is not enough. Now, what is faith? Faith is the uh, substance of things hoped for, the element, the uh, evidence of things unseen. Thank you. I've got, I've got like, this is way later than I normally stay up, guys. Praise the Lord. Um, I'm an old man. The evidence of things unseen. So when we come to the Lord and we see a promise Oftentimes, those promises are not present. They are in the future. And so we actually have to say yes to the Lord and believe in our hearts that that promise that the Lord has given us and has made to us is going to be fulfilled. That's what faith is. Hebrews 11, verse 1, uh, sorry, verse 24 says that Moses, when he left Egypt, he did not fear the king's anger and he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. So Moses saw a vision of God. He believed in that vision that God had given him and continually held on to it, even when Pharaoh was angry and even when nothing was going the way that he wanted it. I promise you, Moses did not plan any of that stuff happening. It would not make any sense for Moses to say, yeah, Lord, pardon his heart. Like, just... Make this thing really difficult. I want it to be challenging. That is not Moses' thing. And the last element uh, that it takes to persist in obedience, this is the one that I think that the children of Israel did not have, at least initially, but Moses did have that kept him going. And this is it, counting the cost. Hebrews 11.24 says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather to, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. So counting the cost, Moses way in advance, said, God, you are more worth following, or it's more, it's more pleasurable to follow you than to partake in the pleasures that the, that the things and the people and the places of Egypt have for me. You are more important, you're more worth it. And it's that revelation that Moses had and that many of, I mean, every martyr 
has had to count the cost at some point. Every Christian has had that had to count the cost at some point. When Jesus calls to us, he says, come and follow me, pick up your cross. We can pick up a cross not knowing what the cross is, but he also says you have to count the cost of following me. And what that cross means is we have to die to ourselves. So as believers in faith, we are picking up our crosses daily and saying, God, I'm counting the cost of not not eating that hamburger because you told me not to. I'm counting the cost of, of not looking at that girl in lust because you told me not to and I believe you. And I'm counting the cost in advance because I know that if I do not count the cost right now, when a moment comes of difficulty, I could be at risk of faltering and stumbling. Jesus In a parable, he says, Luke 14, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, uh, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. And I think that's what happened with the Israelites is they heard a good message, they had a little bit of faith, and then things got difficult, and they hadn't counted the cost at all. They, they just heard the good message. They heard the prosperity gospel. But as gatekeepers, we are not called to a prosperity gospel, beloved. We are called to follow the Lord and to trust in his leadership day in and day out. And the only way we can do that is if, in advance, we say, God, you know, my life is good, but it's more worth, or my life is more, it's going to be more pleasurable if I say yes to you every moment than if I say yes to the world in every moment. And it's a difficult thing to come to terms to, or to come to terms with, because oftentimes the world is so prevalent and it's so in our face and it feels so good in the moment. But the Israelites, they, they also had that, that going for them, right? They said, you know, our lives right now, they're not that bad, Moses, until you came along and screwed everything up. Moses, however, had a vision that, hey, I'm going to get us out of this land and into a land that is flowing with milk and honey, a promised land that God has prepared for us. Moses counted the cost and he said, it's going to be worth it if we just persevere in the times of persecution. Jesus goes to say that those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness will inherit the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven suffers violent, and the violent take it by force. So we have to be violent as those who believe in Jesus to continually fight against the world, to continually continually fight against the lusts of the flesh in order to gain the kingdom of heaven. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next episode.